Hi, my name is Luke, and this is Inside Industry with IREO, the premier podcast about WSU researchers who fund their work privately, which is also known as industry. Today, we're interviewing Allison Coffin, who is from WSU Vancouver. Allison, how are you doing? Doing okay today, Luke. A little bit gray outside. Looking forward to spring. So I know you use zebrafish to study hearing loss in your lab, but to any other person, it seems like it's a stretch to study human hearing loss in tiny little fish. Care to share? Well, my lab uses zebrafish to understand how we lose our hearing and how we can prevent hearing loss or restore it. That's not really how I imagined my career. That's not how I started out. Started when I was five years old, walking along the dock in Isle Morada in the Florida Keys. And I'd always been fascinated by sharks, always being relative since I was five. And I looked down and there was a nurse shark swimming off the dock. And for whatever reason, I absolutely fell in love. That's what I want to do for my career. I want to chase sharks. I went to college at Florida Tech in Melbourne, Florida to study marine biology. And again, for whatever reason, something just lit a fire when I learned that fish, at least some fish, could produce sound and use it to talk to each other. Most fish don't do this, but it's pretty noisy underwater. And just like that shark when I was five, as a college student, this idea that some fish use acoustic communication that they talk just caught my attention. And I wanted to study fish communication, which meant fish hearing, because if fish can talk to each other, then fish have ears, which most people don't even think about because we think about our ears are on the outside of our bodies. We can see them, our glasses attached to them. We hang earrings from them, at least some of us. But we don't think about fish ears because they're on the inside of the body and we'd have to be looking through the fish or dissecting the fish to be able to see them. This led to my PhD studying fish hearing at the University of Maryland. And while I was there, I realized that not only could we use fish to understand more about how fish hear and talk to each other, but we could also use fish to understand how we hear and how we can understand hearing loss and treat hearing loss or prevent it. That really led to my current research. Previously, when I was a postdoc at the University of Washington, which is where I first started using larval zebrafish to understand hearing, and for the last nine years in my lab at Washington State University, Vancouver. So you mentioned zebrafish. Why zebrafish? How are they different than any other fish? Zebrafish aren't that different than some other fish. But because just like why use a mouse or a rat for research, once somebody starts down a research path, more and more people jump on that, what we call model organism bandwagon. Now zebrafish do have a lot of advantages. They're small, they're easy to keep in the lab. We can breed them year round. We just do some tricks with their lighting and with temperature. So they think it's always summer. They think it's always their breeding season. And we use the larvae, the little offspring that are literally the size of an eyelash to study hearing. And zebrafish, including zebrafish larvae, like most fish, have hearing cells on the outside of their bodies in a system called the lateral line. And these hearing cells are just like the hearing cells in our inner ears. And they're called hair cells because they have little hair-like things that stick off the top of them. And in the case of the zebrafish cells, these move when the water around them moves, and that sends signals to their brain saying, hey, there's vibrations nearby. I heard something. Just like in our ears, sound travels through our ear canal, hits our eardrum, vibrates those little middle ear bones, and then moves fluid in our inner ear to stimulate our own hearing cells, our own hair cells. 
So zebrafish have these cells on the outside of their bodies, which means that we can see them easily under a microscope. We can use different drugs or chemicals to manipulate them, and we can study them very readily. So with what you've learned with studying zebrafish and how they hear, does this lead to any other developments? Are we going to be dumping hearing aids eventually and be using fish in some way to restore our hearing? Do we have developments? Yes. Can we dump the hearing aids tomorrow? Unfortunately not. One of the great things about fish is that they can regenerate those hearing cells, unlike us. My lab at WC Vancouver and my colleagues' labs around the country and throughout the world are studying animals like zebrafish and like frogs and like chickens to understand how these different species, these non-mammals, can regenerate their hearing. What are the genetic tricks that they use? What genes get turned on and activated or turned off and deactivated in fish that makes them able to regenerate their hearing cells? And what's different in our ears and the ears of other mammals like rats or mice so that we and other mammals can't regenerate those hearing cells? Yeah, there have been some really exciting developments. We know a lot about what's called cell signaling, the way that different molecules in a cell talk to each other to, say, promote survival of a cell or to cause new cells to divide and mature, become hearing cells, and take the place of the hearing cells that were damaged. We aren't in a place yet to do that in mammals. It's complicated because not only do we need to produce new hearing cells in our cochleas, our inner ear, but we also need to wire them up properly to the brain and produce the right number of cells without producing too many because then you get a tumor. Fish do this naturally and we're still trying to figure out how they work that out. Wow, fascinating. Now, I also know when studying zebrafish, you don't just focus on how they hear, but also you focus on their hair cells. How is it that you use fish to kind of figure out, from what I understand, how hair cells die and how we can possibly protect our hair? So hair cells are those hearing cells I was talking about. These are these sensory hearing cells on the outside of the fish in the lateral line and in the fish's ears. And they're called hair cells, not because they look anything like the hair on our head or like the fur on a mouse, but because they have little hair-like bits that stick out the tops of those cells. And it's the movement of those little hairs. Each of those little hairs sticks out the top of a single cell. And when those little hair-like things move, that's what tells that cell hey, I heard something, now send a signal to the brain. So really all of this hearing work depends on keeping hair cells healthy or regenerating them once they've been damaged. Got it. With your research, how has industry helped you fund it? Who's been helping you? How did the interaction start? The interaction really started not too long after I got to WSU Vancouver with a conversation with Joe Harding. And I know you've already had Joe on the show as one of the founders of Athera Pharma. When I first got to WSU, Joe's lab was in the earlier stages of developing what are now Athera's lead drugs that are in clinical trials. And in conversation with Joe, he said, hey, we have this drug-like compound, this chemical that can protect nerve cells, brain cells from damage in animals where we've given them Parkinson's or we've given them Alzheimer's, their nerve cells are protected or may even be able to repair themselves when we add 
our new drug or our test drug. Joe and I then started talking and said, well, maybe that test drug would preserve hearing cells, these hair cells as well from certain forms of damage. And that's really what started the first industry collaboration. So there are certain drugs called aminoglycoside antibiotics. I know that's a mouthful. So some antibiotics that are commonly used worldwide and to a degree still used in our country that cause significant hearing loss. And what we found is that this drug out of Joe Harding's lab prevented the hearing damage caused by these certain antibiotics. That was really the first industry collaboration. We're still interested in working with Athera Pharma. And I'll say this out loud and you can edit it out if you want, but we're interested in testing Athera's current compound that's in clinical trials to see how well it preserves hearing in mice. We know that they preserve hearing in fish. We want to move on to an animal that does have an ear more similar to our own, and we're hoping that Ethereum will provide some funding or that we can find funding from other sources for those experiments. There currently aren't any drugs to prevent really any form of hearing loss, and we think that we could have the first FDA-approved drug with a bit of the right support. And I've worked with Autonomy for the last couple of years. They're really interested in identifying the genetic regulation of hearing regeneration. I mentioned that fish can regenerate their hearing, those hair cells, those hearing cells, and that we and other mammals can't. Autonomy is really interested in figuring out how do fish regenerate those hearing cells? Does that regeneration change as the fish gets older? Can that tell us something about aging as well? And how can we harness these fishy tricks to regenerate hearing in us? So we've had some seed funding from Autonomy to start pursuing some of those questions. A third industry collaboration that I'm really excited about is with Rewire Neuroscience. And Rewire is a WSU Vancouver spinout and was founded by John Harkness, who was a postdoctoral researcher in Barb Sorg's lab on the Vancouver campus. While John was a postdoc, he had the fun, tedious task of counting a bunch of cells on a bunch of images taken with fluorescent microscopes. They were interested in how drugs of abuse like cocaine were affecting the brain and they needed to count cells and then they needed to measure a number of different properties of those cells. John got a bit fed up with some of that counting and decided to create a computer program to do the counting for him. Then went on to, of course, compare the computer's ability to count the cells to his and other lab members' ability to count the cells. And that led to this new software called Pipsqueak AI, which is an online machine learning platform for doing cell-based analyses. I've worked some with Rewire and with John and his team to use their software for some of the research I've already talked about, for being able to count cells, see how many there are, tell different things about the properties of those hearing cells using their software. John and I also have an ongoing collaboration, so between my lab in Vancouver and Rewire, to use machine learning to predict drugs that will cause hearing loss. And to me, this is a really important question. We know that over a hundred drugs can cause hearing loss and probably a lot more beyond that. Most drugs, if you think about it, are used in the elderly. Elderly people often have hearing loss anyway. So it's hard to say whether some of that hearing loss is due to the plethora of drugs they're taking versus all of that hearing loss being due to other factors like aging. But while we know that over a hundred drugs can cause hearing loss, 
we don't test for hearing loss during the drug development process. We basically use people as guinea pigs or lab rats and find out when a patient gets a drug, whether or not they experience hearing loss as a side effect. And often it's missed. What John and his team at Rewire and I are working on is developing a machine learning model to take the chemical structures of drugs during the development process and predict based on their similarity to known hearing loss drugs, which drugs might cause hearing loss, which drugs will not so that we can then help advance safer therapeutics. And we're really interested in applying this technology to the development of COVID-related drugs. There are over 900 drugs currently in clinical trials as COVID therapies guarantee that at least a subset of those drugs can cause hearing loss, but we don't know which ones. And we want to help in that drug development effort. Wow, I wasn't aware of how many drugs out there that we use to, with whatever problems we're dealing with, can also have a side effect that's as great as hearing loss. I think it's very fascinating the work you're doing is to help resolve that. Thanks. Yeah, I'm not trying to scare people off from taking the drugs that your doctor prescribes. Like, this is not me saying, oh, hey, like, throw away all your drugs because they might cause hearing loss. That's absolutely not the case. But what I am saying is, we need to be screening for drug toxicity during the development process so that we can develop safer drugs. And that in some cases, when the best option out there is a drug with potential for hearing loss, like some cancer drugs, to have an informed conversation between the patient and their, their provider. Oh, interesting. Well, um, that's a very good uh, disclaimer. Now, I want to shift gears a little bit. Could you talk to me about Science Talk? I know that's an organization that you're very involved with, and I'd love to learn more about it. I am always happy to talk about Science Talk. Thank you, Luke. Science Talk is a national science communication professional society. What that means is that we serve science communicators, just like there are professional organizations for physicians, for veterinarians, for neuroscientists, for people that study hearing like me. We're the national organization for all those that consider themselves science communicators. What do I mean by science communicator? Things like this, talking about science with you on this podcast, scientists that are out doing public talks, people that are running K through 12 after school programs, museum professionals, science writers, public information officers, YouTubers that are putting out fun videos about physics, people running podcasts where they're trying to talk about cool aspects of science in different ways and just get people excited. There are a lot of organizations that serve subsets of that group. For example, the National Association of Science Writers is explicitly for, as it sounds, science writers, but there wasn't an organization for all of those different science communication professionals to come together to talk to each other, to talk to researchers about science communication, to talk to science communication trainers, and to just network and build community. That's where Science Talk comes in. How did you first get involved? The idea came about in 2015-ish. I was having a conversation with a colleague of mine, Janine Castro, who works for U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. We both do science communication training through our organizations and realized there was no place for science communicators to really meet each other. That conversation was the genesis for Science Talk. We decided to hold a regional conference. We called it Science Talk Northwest in January 2017. That was at OMSI, the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry. We had no idea what to expect. We thought, let's just bring the regional science communication group together. People seem excited. We'll see what happens. Maybe we get 50 or 100 people. That first conference, we sold out a month early with 250 people. 
And we realized that this wasn't a one of, this was a first of. We dropped the Northwest, we incorporated as Science Talk, and we now offer an annual conference for science communicators from around the world, as well as online courses, opportunities to write for our blog, a community forum where communicators can connect with each other throughout the year, and really just professional development opportunities for all of us that feel like we fell into science communication and we're just looking to find our people. Wow. Is there anything that's on the horizon for Science Talk, even with COVID happening right now? Yes, there is. Our annual conference is in a couple of weeks, March 24th through 26th. Of course, with COVID, the conference is virtual, but I'm really excited about the lineup. We have three days of workshops and keynote speakers, panels, networking sessions. I was just playing around with some of the conference platforms the other night, figuring out how to navigate around the informal networking venue where you can virtually sit down at tables and talk to other participants. I'm excited about our keynote speakers. We're a bit more organized this year. We held our first virtual conference in March 2020, and I was thrilled at how well it turned out. If we think back to a year ago, that was right at the start of the pandemic. Our conference was the end of March 2020. We were scheduled for face-to-face. -face. We were expecting about 300 people, and about three weeks before the event, we looked at the public health situation and said, this isn't safe. We can't do this. Let's cancel the conference. Then two days later, one of our other board members said, no, 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 we can do this. Let's go virtual. And we were one of the first professional societies to not cancel our conference, but go all virtual. We had three weeks to convert from a face-to-face -to, -face to a virtual meeting. We had about 250 people from around the world, including many who would not have attended the face-to-face -face conference because they didn't have the travel money or had kids at home they were caring for, wanted to watch their carbon footprint, or just didn't want to take the overseas flight. And this year, we've had a whole year to prepare for the online conference. As I said, it's coming up in a couple of weeks, and it should be a really good time. That's super cool. Allison, you're doing a lot of great work with your research and with Science Talk. How could people get involved with that if they'd want to or if they were interested? send chocolate and red wine that would be that's how can people support me and keep my energy going how can people get involved there are a number of different ways one is to when we go back to face-to-face -face events simply protect their hearing so that they don't necessarily need the results of our research a second is for students that are at wcu and particularly wcu vancouver to contact me if they're interested in getting involved with the work it's a little bit challenging now training people during times of covid but definitely we'll be expanding the lab in the future as we look towards the tail end of the pandemic i'll be perfectly honest we are looking for funding research is expensive and i am committed to paying everyone in my lab, which includes the undergraduates, because they're researchers as well. They shouldn't be doing the work for free. That's really challenging in the current funding environment. So donations to the lab are very much appreciated. Those can go through the WCU Vancouver Development Office, or you can just go to my website, just Google Coffin Lab. Individuals and companies that are listening right now, and you have an idea for a collaboration or a drug that you might want to see if it potentially causes hearing loss or could be a hearing protective drug. Always interested in those conversations as well. You can definitely reach out to me there. As far as science talk goes, best opportunity is to just go to our website and hopefully sign up for the conference. Anybody that's interested in science communication, why it matters, and 
helping science have a bigger impact in society is a part of our organization. And we would love to have some of the listeners out there at our next conference as well. We'll also include your info in our podcast bio. That way people can see it as well and see hyperlinks and just get to it right away. So that way, in case any of you are interested in listening, we'll make it super easy for you to do it in just a click. Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about? In addition to the research, in addition to serving as the executive director of Science Talk, because I simply didn't have enough to do, also launched a project about hearing health in the music industry. And this project really came about for a couple of reasons. One, because I love music. I love going out for live music. I love going out dancing. I am itching to get back on the dance floor once the pandemic is over and it's safe to do so. And two, because I'm married to a drummer. So the irony is that often I am writing a grant or a research paper about hearing loss while wearing earplugs because there's music going on in the other room. Although these days he is protecting his hearing because of course he's married to a hearing scientist. But thinking about me wearing earplugs as I'm protecting my hearing with the drumming going on, for this video, we've been interviewing musicians and sound people and other industry professionals around their experiences with their hearing, with music, their thoughts about protecting their hearing, what they've done, and in some cases with some of the older musicians, maybe what they wish they had done when they were younger to really take care of their hearing so they can enjoy music throughout their lifetime. We're getting close to the end of the video. We've conducted a number of different interviews now, but if people are interested in getting involved, we're definitely looking for additional sponsors for the video. And we could maybe fit in another interviewer too. So if we have any music professionals listening, get in touch and let's chat. Wow, a video project for hearing health in the music industry. I mean, you think it'd be more of an audio project, right? <laughs> Nicely done. There'll be plenty of audio involved. Well, Allison, those are all my questions. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was really fascinating and frankly a privilege just to learn about all the great work that you're doing with hearing loss and science talk. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate the opportunity. Have a great day, Luke. Yeah, you too. And this concludes our episode. I'm Luke Walker, and this is Inside Industry with iRio. You can find more episodes on Spotify or on our website, research.wsu.edu slash innovation.